Welcome back to the Low Bottom High Rise podcast with me, Moira Kasaba, as your host. And today I've got a fascinating, mind blowing, cutting edge guest on the show, Dr. Chris Palmer. You guys, this man is literally changing the way that we will forever treat anxiety, depression, OCD, all kinds of mental illness. He is absolutely discovering and on the cutting edge of changing the way we treat mental health in our country and the world forever and always. He has a book coming out called Brain Energy, and it is a mental health revolution. And the information that he's going to share today and the connections to mental health and metabolism, yes, metabolism, it's like I said, going to blow your mind, but it's also going to make a heck of a lot of sense. And I just adore this man, and I'm really excited for you to hear from him. So let's dig in. Well, Chris, I'm so excited to have you on the show. I'm so excited to have my listeners dig into your work and kind of these topics. I am fascinated by what you're doing. So as we get started, how would you sum that up? What, Who are you and what are you doing in the world? Big question. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so most people probably know me as a psychiatrist. So mm-hmm. I am a Harvard Medical School psychiatrist. I work at McLean Hospital where I'm the director of postgraduate and continuing education. Lots of words. Basically, <laughs> I am an academic educator. Uh, I've been here for 27 years now. Wow. Um, and have held a variety of roles. I do um, research. Um, I do a lot of education. I uh, have done neuroscience research. I do clinical work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the clinical work that I do is really focused on people with treatment resistant mental illness, mm. meaning I get. I get the people for whom standard treatments are not working. I yeah. almost never get somebody who, you know, right off the street with their first episode of depression or anxiety. Right. I don't get those. You get the hard easy, ones. Yeah. I don't get those easy cases. <laughs> I get the hard ones that nobody else can kind of yeah. figure out or for whom treatments just aren't working. And uh, so that's a little bit about who I am. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So you wrote a book last year called Brain Energy. So I am probably equal parts obsessed with kind of brain science and neuroscience and all of that and energy and the concept of that. And what you're kind of proposing, I I would love to know what led you into this specific work, you know, with metabolic health impacting and directly connected to our mental health. So can we kind of dig into that big juicy topic? And I, and I feel like I'm probably, because you're so smart, going to keep pulling you back <laughs> to like explain it on a more simplistic level. But I mean, it makes so much sense to me, right? When I go down and, and kind of dive into your Instagram posts and some of your YouTube videos and things like that, how can metabolic health not be connected to mental health? Like, how can it not? You know, it affects our physical health. Why would it not affect our mental health? Everything is connected. But even for me, having, you know, been in health and wellness my whole life, even for me, I'm like, well, what does he mean by metabolic health? You know, like even defining that, bringing it down to those simple terms. So can we, can we start digging into that? 
Absolutely. So the first thing that I want to say is, you know, you are like numerous other people, including most mental health professionals, psychiatrists, neuroscientists, and others. Of course, taking care of your body, of course, maintaining a good weight, of course, exercise is good for you and might make you feel a little bit better. Everybody agrees on that. Yeah. No question. But what I'm arguing is something much deeper and much more profound. Mm-hmm. What I am saying, because, because those same psychiatrists and neuroscientists will say that diet and exercise, that's all well and good. But then there are people with real mental disorders. Right. Chronic crippling depression, which is now the leading cause of disability on planet Earth, by the way. Plain old depression, simple depression is now the leading cause of disability Mm. Um, or schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. Those are real disorders or even alcoholism or opioid addiction. Those are real problems and diet and exercise. Those, those are nice. Those are nice things, but they, they have nothing to do with these serious disabling brain disorders. Yes. This makes total Um, sense to me, this argument, you know? And what I am here to argue is that in the same way, your metabolic health, and there's a lot that goes into metabolic health, but let me point out two of the big factors, diet mm-hmm. and exercise. Mm-hmm. In the same way that diet and exercise can make someone have a heart attack and die, that's a real thing. Heart right. attacks are real things and dying is a real thing. In the same way that diet and exercise can influence whether you are a person who has a heart attack, Diet and exercise can also impact the way your brain functions in profound, horrible, debilitating, life-threatening ways. And they can cause your brain to malfunction. Hmm. And when people's brain, you know, when, when people have metabolic dysfunction in their heart, there aren't a lot of options for how the heart can fail. Right. Um, a failing heart usually means chest pain and then death. Yeah. Um, and but there are lots of ways that the brain can fail metabolically. And when the brain begins to fail metabolically, or when the brain suffers from metabolic problems, mm-hmm. it can develop a whole host of symptoms that I am arguing we call mental illness. So for some people, that can be chronic debilitating depression. For others, it can be hallucinations and delusions that we end Mm -hmm. up calling schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. For others, it can be OCD. Mm -hmm. And so when the brain is metabolically compromised, um, it can begin to malfunction. And that, in a nutshell, is what we call mental illness. Wow. I'm having so many ahas here because I don't know how much you know of my history, but you know, I got sober when I was 21 and, and I look back and this is literally in these moments while you're talking the first time that I've ever thought 
you know, of course I've questioned why did I, why was I an addict? You know, certainly I had personality traits that lend itself towards that, but, you know, and it was, you know, in my genetics, but raised in a very normal as normal home as you can get these days. And why did I go off the deep end with addiction? But it's interesting to me to start to think that, you know, there's something askew in the brain, but then the more you drink and the more you drink and the more you drink, the more you malfunction it, malfunction it, malfunction it to the point of what feels like no return, which is addiction, which, you know, that's what it feels like that, that has never crossed my mind, but it makes so much sense to me. And the reality is that addiction is a perfect example of what I would call a positive feedback loop or a downward Mm -hmm. spiral because people can actually get hooked on a substance for no real good reason other than peer pressure. That can, that can Mm -hmm. happen. People in high pressure jobs where they are expected to drink martinis with the clients every night. Some people can get hooked from that alone. Yeah. More often than not, people get hooked because they have some pre-existing vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Whether we call it genetic or whether it's stress, a stressful mm-hmm. childhood or trauma or something else, um people may notice I don't feel great. I am mm-hmm. mildly depressed or anxious Mm -hmm. or something insecure, something. And when I use this substance, it makes me feel better. The, and then those are the people who tend to get hooked because it makes them feel so much better. Right. And when they're not using, they just don't feel right. They don't feel good. And they're just looking to feel better. Right. The challenge with substances like alcohol and marijuana and even, but even smoking cigarettes or vaping, is that those then cause metabolic harm to the brain. They cause the brain to begin to malfunction Mm -hmm. in a metabolic way. And that then sets them up for this never-ending cycle of addiction. Yeah. Um, And although that may sound far-fetched or some people... People who've never heard this may be thinking, Chris Palmer, you're kind of making stuff up right now. Or it you're makes spe- to me, it's like total speculating. Um, the reality is, I'm actually not speculating at all. We have decades of neuroscience yeah. research on exactly what I'm saying. And a lot of this research is led by this brilliant woman scientist, Nora Volkow, who happens to be the director of the um, um, you know, National Institute of Drug Abuse. So she wow. is, she is a huge powerhouse in the addiction field. Mm-hmm. And she has been doing research for decades, showing that people with alcoholism, people with cocaine addiction, people with other addictions have metabolic problems in their brains. And that if we can address those metabolic problems, we might be able to help them overcome their substance use disorders. Wow. Wow. And, and so that, that starts getting into, you know, even though most people would think, well, addiction, that hasn't, that doesn't have anything to do with diet and exercise. Yeah. You know, I just described two scenarios in which people might get addicted. 
to substances. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. You know, I feel uh, you pinpointed something that I've always felt about myself, which it makes total sense that before I fell into alcohol addiction, I, I had an eating disorder for many years. And I look back and I think that's so I never thought about food. I never had an issue with food. My mom never did anything weird with food. Like there was no influence except I saw my older sister do it. And I was like, oh, we should do that. Like I can remember, you know, telling my girlfriends, like, that sounds smart. We should just eat all the food and then purge. And then, you know, da 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 da. da. And I'm like, and from that, I fell into decade long battle with bulimia. And it was, you know, to know that it's a brain problem versus a willpower problem or a self worth problem or all of these things that society tells us. I believe changes everything when it's a mechanical problem versus a personal problem. So I am fascinated with all of this. And I also know that there are almost, I feel, I I shouldn't say this, but a lot of people, I was going to say almost everybody, a lot of people are addicted to something, right? They're addicted to alcohol or marijuana or, you know, vaping or porn or work or whatever it is. So what I'm like chomping at the bit for here is how do we break this? Like, what are the solutions to restore metabolic health? So I, I think the first step is understanding the cycle and understanding Mm. the science, because like you just said, if, if your story or narrative is the reason I have bulimia is because I never feel like I'm good enough. Mm. And my parents always put pressure on me to get Mm -hmm. straight A's. And I'm just not quite that smart to be able to get straight A's. No matter how hard I work, no matter how hard I try, I'm just not quite good enough to live up to my parents' expectations. And that's why I'm bulimic. Yeah. Because I want a sense of control or because yeah. I want to be good enough in another way, or I want people to at least look at me and think some positive things about mm-hmm. me. At least I can feel good about the way I look as opposed to how smart I am or my grades or something right. else. If that's the narrative, you're going to chase that narrative. Yes. And yes. the solution, the solution is to somehow be good enough. Right. The solution, and that means talk therapy mm-hmm. to convince yourself that you're good enough. Right. Or the solution is blame mom and dad. It's their yeah. fault. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they're the evildoers here. They shouldn't be so perfectionistic. And yeah. until I get a new set of parents, I am I'm never going to be better. <laughs> right. I am doomed. I'm doomed. And it's all mom and dad's fault. And if they just stop putting pressure on me, Everything would be fine. Um, And if those solutions work for people, I'm all for them. That's right. Well, we wouldn't have the mental health crisis problem that we have. (laughs) We wouldn't. If things were so simple, we wouldn't. And what I'm arguing is that if we, it, it doesn't mean that we take away that narrative or completely annihilate it. Because for some people, that narrative is partially true. Right. But if we add to that narrative, if we add to the story that because you are engaging in eating disordered behaviors, 
you have now changed your brain metabolism mm. and you are now stuck in a vicious cycle. Yeah. You, you are trapped. And, and part of the problem, a big part of the problem based on scientific evidence is that your brain is metabolically impaired. Mm-hmm. And if we can understand that, and again, I'm not asking anybody to speculatively believe right. that. I'm asking you to just open your eyes to all of the science that we have today because mm-hmm. the science 100% backs up what I'm saying. If you open your eyes to that science and then you ask the question, well, how? what can I do to help my brain function better in a metabolic way? Then we come up with solutions that I know you already have figured out <laughs> that, that are that are uh, that are common sense health and wellness solutions. So yeah. they're going to be like, I am going to figure out what a good healthful diet is mm-hmm. for me. I'm going to figure out a decent meal frequency. I'm going to figure out the type of diet that sits well with me. And that gives me health. And that's going to be different for different people. And we can talk generalities about what is a healthy diet and what what are unhealthy diets. But people may need to think about exercise Mm -hmm. and an appropriate amount of exercise. If we're talking about eating disorders, you can overdo that. Sure. And you can way over exercise to the point that you're in starvation. And that's not going to be healthy for anyone. But we also need to think about sleep. Yeah. Your use of other substances like all the recreational drugs, your use of prescription medicines. Mm, it, yeah. it is that problematic. If you're if you're taking a Xanax every time you experience anxiety, that yes, the Xanax can make your anxiety better in the moment, but you are now going down a bad path of yeah. disrupting your brain metabolism. And you're getting yourself stuck in one of these vicious cycles. So the solutions for the majority of people are kind of obvious, common sense, health and wellness solutions, but we need to put them all together. Right. You need to do all of them slowly but surely. So if you're eating a healthy diet, but you're not sleeping. You're addicted to your phone. You're up mm. all night. You're you're not prioritizing sleep. You're binge watching Netflix and then waking up to an alarm, clearly sleep deprived and yeah. muddling through the day in a sleep deprived state. That change in diet probably is not going to be enough. Right. To completely fix the problem because you're still sleep deprived yeah. and you're addicted to your phone and you're on your phone all the time instead of engaging in real life with real people. So, so again, not rocket science kind of solutions, but solutions that oftentimes people aren't putting together right. and they're they just not, think, yeah, they're too soft. They think, you know, they're too and- soft. I think people like, and this is why this is one of your topics that probably gets so much attention, people need, because I'm thinking this right now, I'm like, okay, give me the numbers. Like how many hours of sleep do I need to get? How, what does this need to look like? Because it is, right? It is hard to follow 
eat healthier, you know, get a little bit more exercise. I should be sleeping more. Even for me, you know, I try to track a lot of times how many hours of sleep because otherwise I'm just not if I don't bring the awareness to it, I'm I'm not doing it well enough because I'm I'm not aware of how many hours am I getting. You know, if I want to sleep seven hours and it's seven o'clock at night and I know I'm getting up at this time, then I need to make sure I'm in bed by this time. Like we actually have to bring a lot of awareness to that. I am fascinated with the nutrition side. Fascinated because and and I don't know if this happens to be because I don't drink or use drugs anymore and haven't in 23 years. So I'm very aware of the effect that nutrition has on me. I always say, you know, I don't, I'm never hung over from alcohol or drugs anymore, but I get food hangovers. I mean, it is so real and so true. And so luckily in my forties, I eat not for body weight or anything like that. I, I try to eat clean truly because I know how I'm going to feel the next day, right? And I'm not talking about guilt or shame. I'm talking about clarity. I'm talking about I can feel depression kind of hanging over me if I've eaten a ton of bad food. My per my you know my the glasses that I'm wearing kind of thing. You know, it's like I can start you know thinking I hate where I live and I want to do this differently. And my husband's a jerk, and I'm like. Well, it was all the same three days ago and I loved all of it. So the only thing that's changed is me, but it is food for me. It is, I'm so aware of it. So can we talk about, because sometimes even for me, I'm like, well, what was it? Was it just the carbohydrates? Was it the sugar? Was it the fast, not that I eat fast food, but you know, faster food. (laughs) What was it that's really playing the role there that affects our brain and our emotions and, you know, our neurotransmitters so much. Yeah. So we can definitely do a deep dive in that. I just want to take a step back and thank you for sharing your story. Cause I think your story is perfect for the listeners. So the first thing I want to say, if you are, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, Oh, I'm on such a horrible diet and I'm overweight and I don't have energy and I'm depressed and anxious and I'm getting treatment for that. And the treatment's kind of not really working all that great because I still don't feel very good. And what's wrong with me? And mm-hmm. oh, now they want me to change my diet. Okay, fine. I'll give it a shot. I'm going to change my diet. I'm going to give you some real news. <laughs> the real <laughs> news is when you very first change your diet, it's going to suck. Yeah, you're it's going to suck. <laughs> you're not going to like it one bit. Just like when the alcoholic tries to give up alcohol, it sucks. It sucks. It really sucks. Yeah. And, but if you can get through it, Mm -hmm. if you can make this a new part of your life, you will become more like what you just said, Moria. That that when I don't do it, I suffer. Yeah. Like this, this way of living which includes my diet, helps me feel vibrant, helps me feel great, helps Mm -hmm. me love the people in my life, love my career, able to do everything that I need to do and feel good about it. And then when I don't do my lifestyle, when I don't do my diet, when I don't get good sleep, when I don't exercise for several days in a row or something, that's when I start to slip 
And I start to realize, whoa, this is not a good path. This isn't who I want to be. This isn't where I want to go. Yeah. And I get back on the wagon and I know what I need to do. I have the exact same experience. And, um, and I say this to people because I myself was trapped in that cycle of depression and anxiety and not knowing how to get out of it. And feeling like if I have to give up my comfort foods, what's the point in being alive? Like, come on, <laughs> yeah. there's th- like you can't possibly expect me to give up all of my best, great, delicious foods. And why, why would I want to do that? And what I'm here to tell you is that you have no idea how much better your life can be and who mm. you can be as a person. So, in terms of specifics on food, there's no question food. Different foods for different people. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll talk in generalities. We know that we know that diet has profound effects on brain function. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the one of the big hot topics nowadays is the gut brain connection. Yes. So we know that what happens in your gut can actually affect your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that includes your mood and anxiety symptoms. Mm-hmm. And there's no question that what we eat affects our gut, affects our gut microbiome, affects the amount of inflammation in our gut. Um, Our gut actually produces hormones and even neurotransmitters that make it up to the brain. Um, You know, a lot of people know the word serotonin and they think about that as it relates to depression. What's surprising to a lot of people is that actually 95% of the serotonin in the human body is actually produced in the gut. Wow. It's not, it's not in the brain. It's in your gut. I didn't know that. And so, so if you think about depression and if it, if it's at all related to serotonin, we need to think about your gut and your gut Mm -hmm. health and your gut function. And guess what? Your diet plays a profound role in that. Yeah. So, so in terms of generalities, I'm going to talk, I, the thing that I feel confident about saying is that people should try their best to eat real whole foods, mm-hmm. whether you want to be a vegan, whether you want to be an omnivore, whether you want to be more animal-based foods, it, it, like eat real whole foods, yeah. no matter what. So trying to stay away from processed foods, packaged foods, things with artificial ingredients, things with all of that kind of stuff. If you're in a position to be able to afford organic mm-hmm. foods, that those are better because increasingly there are concerns about some of the pesticides and other things that get used on our foods yeah. and how those might influence our metabolism. To give you one clear example of something that, for the most part, most people think is pretty benign, or like, you know, Diet Coke, mm. Diet Diet Coke, and lots of other diet sodas yeah. and diet food have an artificial sweetener called aspartame in it. It turns out that aspartame. Some recent studies; these were done in mice, so we're not a hundred percent certain that they translate to humans, but there's reason to believe that probably does translate to humans. So. Some studies done in mice showed that aspartame can actually cause anxiety in mice. But the disturbing part 
is that those mice can then transmit that anxiety to their children and then their children transmit that anxiety to their children. Wow. So that so that aspartame appears to affect epigenetics. Wow. And that gets transmitted to our children and our children's children. We have really good evidence that trans fats Mm-hmm. can do similar things. They can actually cause all sorts of metabolic harm, meaning they lead to obesity and diabetes, heart disease. They also lead to mental disorders. They lead to mm-hmm. Alzheimer's disease and depression, anxiety. And that that actually, if your mother ate a lot of trans fats when she was pregnant with you, that actually gets transmitted to children as well. Wow. The good news is that trans fats are now banned and they're now outlawed because because we know how horrible and toxic they are. But I just invite you to think how many other substances are. Right, right. A million, right? So many, especially in the United States, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things that we're eating in a regular, just I say standard American diet, but I'm just saying the average American that these substances are banned in other countries. You know, it's crazy. They are. one of the things, and and again, this is from a personal fascination standpoint, you talk a lot about the ketogenic diet. Do you follow, are you, is that the diet you follow personally? No, um, not right now. So yeah. I have definitely been on low carbohydrate or mm-hmm. lower carbohydrate diets for 20 years. Yeah. And, um, and it was actually a low carb diet that ended up being ketogenic for me mm-hmm. that actually helped me put my kind of chronic depression yeah. into full remission off yeah. medications. And I haven't been on meds in over 20, 25 years wow. or any it. of it. And, um, but, but my, so the fascinating thing is that I, for the last six, seven years, I have been using the ketogenic diet to treat people with very serious mental disorders mm. like schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. Wow. So although most people know keto as a weight loss diet yeah, and, the, and some people have heard of it as a fad diet and some people have heard it's a dangerous, horrible, awful animal sourced diet and, and nobody should do it. It's dangerous. Everybody's going to have heart attacks. Lots of controversy around the keto diet. Mm-hmm. Unbeknownst to most people, the ketogenic diet is actually a 100-year-old evidence-based treatment for epilepsy. Yeah. It it can stop seizures even when medications fail to stop those seizures. And And so I want to stop you right there because you just said the evidence is there that a ketogenic diet can stop epilepsy, which is you know, happening in our brain. So we can't argue the fact that nutrition and what we're eating has such a direct impact on our brain function. And I'm fascinated from a personal level because anytime I've gone lower carb or, or ketogenic, it, I, I mean, it is insane what happens to my mental health, my clarity, my brain function, you know, I feel like, um, I'm in 007, you know, like everything's firing on all cylinders. 
And for me, it's just, it's hard to sustain that, you know, on a, on a, on a, just a regular life level. Um, but also I want, I want to challenge, not challenge the listeners, but I want to offer them this con this thought because it really helped me when you said, you know, you've been on somewhat of a low carb diet for the last 20 years. What I want to challenge is what we call low carb diet is probably not a low carb diet, right? Like we're just eating an exorbitant amount of carbohydrates this day and age in our society. And so what is classified or or assumed to be a quote unquote low carb diet that you and I might be on is actually not a low carb diet. We're eating, you know, whole based, you know, whole grain carbohydrates. We're also eating a ton of vegetables, which are all carbohydrates. And yes. so I just want to challenge that, that it's not necessarily low carb. It's just society's view of it in comparison. Yes, it is. Yeah. And some would argue we are eating a regular human diet <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and everybody else is now eating the new version called the standard American diet, yes. which is really not good for human health. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, again, when, when you look at the amount of processed and ultra processed foods that people are consuming. I think the average um, that I saw recently is about on average, Americans are getting about 60% of their calories from ultra processed foods, Wow! Um, which means, you know, bags of chips or cereal or other kinds of things that when you look at the label, so if you look at the label of ingredients, you're going to see more, well more than six things listed. Yeah. And many of those things are going to be chemicals that you have no idea what they are. You're going to read it and you're going to think, what's that? I don't even know. Yeah. You may not care. But what I would argue is that if if you're reading a food label and you don't understand what each and every word is... And you don't have a clear sense of like, where does that come from in nature? Yeah. Um, then it's a problem. And, you know, the definition that I just gave would allow for sugar. Sure. Because sugar is at least something that grows in right. nature. And we kind of know where we get it. I'm not at all advocating for sugar's okay. But, but. I think sugar, in fact, might in fact be better than some of these other things. Oh, for sure, for sure. The processed and highly refined sugars, and you know, high fructose corn syrup, and all of the other things. Um, So, I I just kind of building on what I was going to say, though, because again. Some people might be taking away from this, well, Chris Palmer, you're just saying health and wellness is good for mental health or depression or anxiety. And the thing that I want to say is it's not just about eat more broccoli and Mm -hmm. that's going to stop your schizophrenia. That's not what I'm saying. And I really want to be clear about that because- You know, as a psychiatrist, I know schizophrenia is a devastating brain disorder. Bipolar disorder can be, chronic depression can be, chronic anxiety can be, Mm -hmm. personality disorders, addiction, all of them can be devastating, life-threatening disorders that ruin people's lives. 
And I don't for one second want people to think that I'm taking this lightly or that I'm offering soft, weak solutions for serious problems. And this, the details can get complicated. The scientific details, why the ketogenic diet for some people and maybe not everyone, because I'm not arguing everybody should be on the ketogenic diet. Um, But what I'm arguing is that in some situations, like situations of schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, the ketogenic diet can be nothing short of miraculous. Wow. In the way that you described that when you had done a ketogenic diet, you felt like all your your brain was firing on all cylinders. And in fact, people with schizophrenia and bipolar disorder have horrible impairment of brain metabolism. They need every cylinder they can get to try to recover, to try to restore their brain function. And so just like epilepsy is a really serious brain disorder, no question about it, it is. Mm -hmm. These mental disorders are also serious and we can use nutritional interventions like ketogenic diets, but also sleep and substance use management and all of it. And the good news that I bring today is that I am seeing patients who suffered from schizophrenia and bipolar disorder and chronic depression for decades, and they are putting their illnesses into full remission that can be lasting. Sometimes they're able to get off all psychiatric medications and remain well and healthy. So what I'm saying is that these can be extraordinarily powerful, powerful treatments if done in the right way for the right people, for, for everyone else, for all of you people who just have a little burnout or, or just, you know, you, you just want a little pep or yeah. you want, it doesn't, it's not rocket science. It's not, it's just yeah. clean up your diet, do some exercise, get some good sleep, all of yeah. the basics. And it will probably improve your brain function and you probably will feel better and will not need to consider an antidepressant. Yeah. Um, or an anti-anxiety pill for your symptoms. Isn't it amazing that we are so quick, so quick to go to prescription drugs versus getting more sleep, changing our diet, exercising for 20 minutes a day. I mean, it's it baffles me. It baffles me, but I also understand it, right? It's just the easier way. It's just the easier way. I have a question for you about, um, and I don't know much about this, um, but I have several friends whose children um, have pans, pandas, and that is so extreme, you know, so hard um, as a parent, I can't imagine. But does any of this apply? I would think it does to your work with that. It does. And so the first thing I want to say in response to pans, pandas, is that there's a lot to metabolic health and it's more than diet and exercise. So by no means am I saying that everybody who has a mental illness was eating a bad diet. That's not what I'm saying. And this is a perfect example of that. People can get an infection Mm -hmm. and that infection can affect their brain and result in symptoms of mental illness. And what kind of infections? When you say an infection, anything? 
just about any infection. So every infection will increase your levels of inflammation throughout mm-hmm. your body as you're trying to fight it off. And for the most part, inflammation takes a toll on brain metabolism. Mm-hmm. We know that we have the neuroscience of that. So anything that causes inflammation puts you at risk for developing a brain disorder Mm -hmm. that we may or may not end up calling a mental disorder. Sometimes they end up being called neurological disorders like seizures. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, but it puts you at risk. So the, the most prevalent one right now is COVID. Yeah. And long COVID. A lot of people are getting COVID. They end up developing symptoms of long COVID. And if you look at the list of, well, what exactly is long COVID? Yes, some of the symptoms are related to your lungs. So some people have mm-hmm. shortness of breath, feel like, you know, they're a little wheezy. But the predominant symptoms of COVID, long COVID are mental symptoms, depression, anxiety, brain fog, cognitive impairment, low energy, um, just, you know, disrupted sleep, needing way too much sleep. And all of those end up getting classified as mental symptoms. Mm. And unfortunately, a lot of those people are going to be referred for psychiatric medications. And if the psychiatric medications work, I'm all for it. Unfortunately, right now, the early results are saying that eh, they're, they're not so helpful. And, and do you again, think, I think it, I'm curious, do you think sometimes the medication that we are giving furthers the issue, the brain issue in a lot of instances? So I, because, yeah, I'm thinking about antibiotics, right? And infection. So we're given antibiotics and we know now, which what we didn't know 20 years ago, that those antibiotics aren't necessarily, I mean, they may solve the problem in the short run, but they can produce long-term problems. So it seems like we're exacerbating the issue a little bit here with the meds. Absolutely. And so yeah. I, so I, I do a bit of a deep dive into the science of this. Um, the, the first thing I want to say before I give you all the bad news that <laughs> you just you just kind of delivered, but the first thing I want to say before I go further is if you happen to be taking psychiatric meds right now, please work with a mental health professional or your prescriber to get off of them in a safe, effective way. If if you if, you, if after hearing this conversation you think I might want to try to get off my meds. Please do it in a safe way. Because if you Mm -hmm. abruptly stop your psychiatric meds, all hell can break loose. I am really sorry to say that, but Mm -hmm. it is just the truth. You could get very depressed. You could get manic, psychotic, suicidal, all sorts of dangerous symptoms. Yeah. So, um, but with that said, we know with certainty, many psychiatric medications actually cause metabolic harm. They Mm -hmm. cause weight gain. They can cause type 2 diabetes in some people. They can cause risk factors for heart disease and end up contributing to early heart attacks or strokes. And in the elderly, at least, it's right on the package insert. They can cause premature mortality death. Wow. And, um, and so 
So right now, those are largely considered side effects, just unfortunate side effects. What I am arguing with the brain energy theory of mental illness is that in fact, anytime we harm metabolism, we may end up having unintended long-term negative consequences on people's mental health, Mm. not just their physical health. Yes, obviously their physical health. If they're gaining massive amounts of weights, that's not good. If they're getting type 2 diabetes, that's not good. Um, But what I'm arguing, based on the science, and we have lots of epidemiological studies to back this up, people who are prescribed lots of those medications tend to have very poor outcomes from a mental health perspective. So even though they're getting a lot of treatment, their mental symptoms end up becoming disabling, chronic, and treatment resistant. Mm. And we need to wake up to the possibility that our treatments may in fact be contributing to that chronic disabling process. Right. And that at least for some people, and, and again, if you're taking meds and they're working beautifully for you, keep taking them. And if you're, especially if you're not having any side effects to them, keep taking them. That's great. But if you're taking meds and you your illness is not getting better and you are tortured on a daily basis by mental symptoms and they're just not getting better and mm. now you can't work or go to school, um, then there may in fact be a better way. And you might be able to use metabolic strategies such as changes in diet and exercise mm-hmm. and other lifestyle factors. You might be able to use those to actually get all the way better and stay better. Wow. Wow. It's fascinating to me. And let's, can we circle back to the kid thing? Because this is a, that's a little bit of a struggle on a different level, right? My son is actually type one diabetic and it presented itself through a COVID infection. Um, so and and obviously type 1 is you know completely manageable and it's not a big crisis in our lives at this point at all but it's definitely more difficult to make changes i argue that my own self here sometimes it's easier because you know the younger they are the more control you have as a parent but sometimes it's harder to control another person versus you know making those changes yourself so when it comes to implementing some of these, do you have any advice for parents when we're talking about changing children's diets or, or trying to get them to sleep more or exercise more? What do you advise there? So the biggest thing that I would, if we're really talking about kids who maybe have some mild, moderate symptoms, um, you know, you're just worried about, you know, oh, my kid's, you know, got a little bit of ADHD or Mm -hmm. got some mild depression or anxiety going on. And maybe if we clean up our lifestyle, that will help. Um, I think if you're in that type of a situation, and then I I can even talk about what what if you have a child with a serious mental Mm -hmm. health condition, like pandas or pans, like you you mentioned. Yes. Um, But if we're talking about the mild ones, I would say the most important thing is to do it as a family. Yeah. You're in it together. Your kid is eating a diet because that 
food is in the kitchen of yeah. your home. Yeah. So ultimately, if you are the person doing the grocery shopping, this you get ultimate control. Now, your kid's not going to be happy. I don't, I don't <laughs> expect nobody in the house is going to be happy about changing anything. Yeah. Nobody likes change. We yeah. all we all like our routines and we all get settled into our routines because they're comfortable and reinforcing yeah. in one way or another. And there's nothing wrong with that. So I think just recognizing this is going to be a process. Yeah, It's not like we're just going to snap our fingers and make changes and a month from now, everything's going to be different. Yeah. So look at it as a journey that we're, here's our goal. We want to change our diets. Let's give ourselves a couple of months mm -hmm. to get there. Let's maybe see if we can gradually, slowly make some changes. So with kids in particular, one easy way is to just remove specific foods. If, if your kids are eating a lot of junk food, say chips or ice cream bars or mm -hmm. something else, and you, you're thinking, yeah, that's probably not good. Um, let's see if we can get rid of it. One really useful strategy is to simply remove the access to that food on specific days of the week. Right. Monday, Wednesday, you we're we're gonna we're gonna go without the those treats or those foods or whatever. And we're gonna start implementing some fruit or mm -hmm. some other whole food treat, or maybe you make some whole food dessert type yeah. things, but using real ingredients. Um that might be a good step. And then slowly but surely over the ensuing weeks, you remove more and more of those days and say, okay, so now during the school week, yeah. you're not going to have any of the junk food because we want your brain to function optimally for school. Yeah. And, but you can still have your treats on the weekend. Yeah. And, and then if you can keep moving in that direction, mm -hmm. it's great. But again, I wouldn't focus only on diet. Right. I would look at, let, let's look at sleep at the same yeah. time. Let's look at exercise yeah. at the same time. There is no better combination than probably those three things. If, you know, assuming somebody does not have a serious addiction or a mm -hmm. serious eating disorder, if they've got one of those, we need to deal yeah. with those things. But for most people, Diet, exercise, and sleep are the huge pillars of health. And if you can make even small changes mm -hmm. in those three areas and improve them, most people will notice, begin to notice dramatic improvement yeah. in brain health and mood and everything. Do you have any thoughts on melatonin or any sleep? I mean, everyone's on some type of probably sleep supplement or something. So are there some that are better than others? Obviously, what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, obviously in a perfect world, best case scenario, you figure out how to condition yourself to just fall asleep naturally. But if you need to take something, you know, I, I, my kids will every once in a while take a melatonin and I'm like, Ooh, I don't know, you know? So what are your thoughts on all of the sleep supplements out there? So the first thing that I would really stress is, um, it really is sleep hygiene. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so that means avoiding screens, you know, at least an hour before bedtime, um, trying to establish a regular bedtime and wake up time. The second thing that I usually implement is actually bright light in the morning. Mm. So getting some kind of bright light in the morning is the best sleep aid known to humankind. And now that could be getting outside and just Mm -hmm. allowing the sunshine on your face. You're not going to look at the sun, but you're going to allow some sunlight in your face. If you can't do that, if you live in the Northeast, like I do, where it's Mm -hmm. too cold to do that in the winter (laughs) or something, you can actually get a bright light therapy light. um, And those can actually be extraordinarily powerful. So you're using it in the morning. To help you fall asleep later. But that will train your circadian rhythm Mm -hmm. so that you can then sleep at night. And I have to say, I have had tremendous success. If you really need a supplement, I think melatonin is probably one of the safer supplements mm-hmm. that I would recommend. So I definitely would recommend melatonin over a lot of other things. Yeah. Um, but uh, some people do well with magnesium at night. Um, some people do well with just, you know, whatever, chamomile tea or whatever. <laughs> yeah. if, if it's sleepy time tea. If, yeah. Even if that's a placebo effect, right. if it works, it go works. for it. Right. <laughs> Have right. some sleepy time tea. And, you know, if if you're needing more than that, if your sleep is really, really highly disrupted and you feel like you need something every single night, I really would want you to look at this big picture again. Yeah. Of probably diet, caffeine, right? Diet, exercise, other substance use. Yes. Caffeine use. Mm-hmm. Because in my mind, that is a wake-up call. It is a wake-up right. call that your physiology is off. Right. Your body should be able to sleep. And taking a pill to force your body to sleep mm-hmm. is not the ideal solution. No. It can be a good short-term intervention, especially if you just got horrible traumatic news or right. you know, had a major change in life or something else. Sure, sleep sleeping pills can be useful in the short run. But on a regular sustained basis, they're not, they're not going to optimize your health. I was going to say, and I bet they are impacting what we're talking about, the metabolic health and the brain health for sure. Yeah. They are. Oh my gosh. Well, before we wrap up, can we circle back? Because I know you said you were going to touch on it kind of, and I I hate to circle back to nutrition because I too agree 100% that we need to be thinking about sleep and you know, exercise and all of these other things, the whole picture, but you were going to touch on kind of the nutritional approach to people or children, children, you know, we talked about with pans and pandas, but some of these, you know, not that just the average normal person that's a little depressed or a little bit off or a little bit tired. How have you seen these diets radically improve? You know, are do you work with children with these specific disorders? I have worked with adolescents, but I have mm-hmm. not worked with young children um, okay. with with these disorders. So I'll, I'll put that caveat out there. What I will say is that, you know, pans, pandas ends up being a, an issue of either autoimmunity and or chronic inflammation. Mm-hmm. And there's no doubt that the ketogenic diet in particular is highly anti-inflammatory mm-hmm. And has also been reported 
to at least put some people's autoimmune disorders, you know, at least um, ameliorate the symptoms or reduce the symptoms. I'm I'm the last person to say they cure autoimmune right. disorders because I don't I don't really I think in some cases I've I've talked to people who say that it cured my autoimmune disorder, in which I say fantastic. But most of the people that I've talked to actually say whenever they go off the ketogenic diet, their autoimmune symptoms mm. come back, mm. and that's and, and that means to me it's not a cure, but it right. can put it into remission. Yeah. And remission is great. (laughs) Uh, And so something like the ketogenic diet, and I'll just say this, if you, if you're trying to treat a serious mental disorder, or if you're trying to treat pans or pandas, I do want you to work with a mental, uh, Mm -hmm. like a, a, a a medical professional, because you're treating a real disorder, a serious disorder, and you're using what can be a really serious intervention, like the ketogenic diet for epilepsy is usually medically supervised. It's not, it's not that the the right. neurologist says, go read on the internet about right. that keto diet thing right. and right. give it a shot and let me know how it goes. You're working with a dietitian and a neurologist and they are tailoring the diet and they are they are fighting that illness, epilepsy yeah. or whatever they're fighting. And they're fighting it with you in mm-hmm. concert with you. And you're a team and they're looking at all of the other things that might be playing a role like sleep or stress or medications mm-hmm. or other things. And they're really putting it together in a comprehensive treatment way. Right. And so if you're struggling with a serious disorder, I do want you to consider it. But some reasons to consider it are that we know that the ketogenic diet decreases inflammation broadly throughout the human mm-hmm. body. It changes the gut microbiome in profound beneficial ways. It changes neurotransmitter systems in the brain. Mm-hmm. It changes calcium regulation in the brain. It does. It actually changes gene expression in many of your cells. And so, so I want people to understand this is a real deal thing. This is yeah. like this is like a real intervention. Yeah. It's having yeah. powerful effects on your brain and body. And I and I share that with people because I want to offer hope and empowerment that if traditional treatments aren't working for you, there are other solutions yes. available today that you might really want to look into. I love that. And I love hearing that from a medical professional of which you are, you know, it's not like you're a naturopath and not that there's anything against that whatsoever, but it's, it's really nice to find the people in the medical field that kind of straddle, you know, all the different modalities out there and are looking at everything that's available to us because it does, it has such an impact. And and I think what I want to end with is the, just if you could speak on this for just a moment, that aside from the the extreme mental disorders that we touched on, you know, this is also a sliding scale. Like, I think there's some freedom in that, you know, it's like, like you said earlier, you can clean up your nutrition a little bit and your sleep a little bit, and you're going to feel better. But if you only do one and not the other, you know, it's everything is, it's not an all or nothing thing. It's not you're on it or you're off of it outside of what we were just talking about. It's a daily 
thing that we're choosing. You know, we're choosing to go to bed at a certain time. We're choosing to get up at a certain time. We're choosing how much to hydrate ourselves. The, you know, one day there might be, it might be a hundred percent whole foods. The next day it might be 80 or 70, but every day we have the opportunity and the freedom to make choices that impact this, our, our mental health and our metabolic health. We do. And the one one thing I want to add to what you just said, because I'm yeah. I'm worried that some listeners are going to hear what you just said is, oh my God, that sounds like so much work. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. No, that's what I'm trying to say is I don't want them to feel that way. I'm on your page, right? That I want them so, to feel like this is manageable. Yeah. Yeah. It, and and so, the, well, the one thing that I would add to everything you just said is, is that like for me, I'll use myself as an example that it's not even really about daily choices anymore. It's about daily habits, Mm, daily habits that I have developed and they become second nature. I don't have to think about them. I don't have to think about what time do I want to go to bed? How do I know when to go to bed? It's when I'm exhausted and I'm like (laughs) falling asleep in the chair or I'm just noticing that like, wow, I am really tired. Mm -hmm. I think it's time for bed. And how do I know what to eat? It's the same thing that all of you are eating. You don't, you don't give that much thought every single day to what am I going to have for breakfast, lunch, and dinner today? You're probably eating similar things most days. And so as you make these changes, they become your new habits Yes, and you don't have to think about them. You don't have to stress about them. And what you'll notice is what you said earlier Mm -hmm. is that when you veer off your out of your habits, when you're on vacation with friends or family and Mm -hmm. eating what they're eating or not exercising, then you start to notice, whoa, I don't feel good anymore. Yeah. Like this, this doesn't feel good to me. I don't want to feel this way. I like my routine. My routine was so much better Yeah, because I feel so much better. I have good energy and I feel Mm -hmm. alive and I can think and I can create and do everything I want to do. And so I just need to get back to my routine and then I'll feel good. Yeah. And even though that routine for some of you may feel like, oh, that's, that's a whole different world. I'm like, so I'm so lost. I, I, I would need to change my diet and my sleep and my exercise and my use of substances. I'm vaping all the time and doing this and that. You may feel like, gosh, that's that's so far away for me. But I'm here to tell you, you get one life. Yeah. And I'm also here to tell you, if you make that journey, it doesn't have to be overnight. It doesn't have to be in a month. It doesn't even have to be in one year. Just slowly but surely make your journey to more healthful habits, to, to get rid of the things that aren't good for you, to include the things that are good for you. If you can do that, like I've done it, like you've done yeah, it. More. Yeah. If you can do it, you will get to a place that you probably thought you could never be in. That, like, yeah. I didn't know I could feel this good. Yes. I didn't know my life could be so good. I thought that was just those other people who were yeah. all lucky and privileged. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't know I could be like this. And once you get there, you'll never want to give it up. Yeah, I totally agree. 
What a great note to end on. I couldn't agree more with you. Oh my gosh, Chris, thank you for your time today. Thank you for your knowledge and every everything that you're doing in the world. And you are just on the precipice of so much change in the world and you're going to be leading the charge. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. That's a wrap on today's episode. Thank you so much for joining us, guys. Thanks for listening. I want to remind you to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts. That would be super, super helpful to us. And share in your social media. Tag me. I love hearing what you guys have to say, your takeaways, all the things. So make sure you're tagging me in your social media posts when you share the episodes. And we will see you next week.